Welcome to No Shortcuts, the podcast. I'm Edgel Groves. All right. It has been a minute since I've done a new episode. I've recorded a bunch. I just haven't put any out. Um, I was waiting on a few things. There was some timing stuff and some press going out around a few of the guests that I had. Um, but I'm happy to say we're getting back into the groove now, and there's going to be a lot of content coming your way. I also recently partnered uh, with some other people in the podcast world uh, to capture video content um, for upcoming episodes. So hopefully, uh, you know, in the next month or two, you're going to see a lot of video content uh, that's going to be paired up with this. So excited about that. All right. My guest today is Tommy Stalknecht, who is the co-founder of Single Music. It is a uh, direct-to-fan sales platform where you can sell music, you can do live streams, you can you know sell vinyl, all kinds of fun stuff. But really, it's just a direct-from-artist-to-fan platform that I think is doing it better than anybody else at the moment. Uh, you know, Tommy describes how it all works. I ask a lot of questions. He gives a lot of answers. Uh, but I think every single artist, whether you're signed to a major or signed to an indie or you're completely independent, you should be utilizing single music and the tools that they're offering. Uh, they're also building out a lot of new features around analytics and ways to to you know look at the insights uh, of how you're interacting with your fans and best use those insights to reach more and and also generate more revenue. So that is the name of the game. All right, without any further ado. Tommy Stockneck. Tommy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining. So are you in Nashville at the moment? I am. I'm the only person that comes into the office. So I'm in Nashville. Oh, that's right. I've been there once. Are you still in the same space? Uh, slightly larger space than we were in that one before. Same building. Fortunately, we didn't have to move too far, but we, uh, when we moved in to the new space, we were here for one month before the lockdown. So basically it's, I'm the only one that comes in just for the sake of like, well, I'm already paying for it. So <laughs> might oh, as well come man. in. I mean, if you're the only one that shows up, it kind of works out that way then. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I got a three-year-old at home, so it gives me some chance to uh, to get out and focus and, and all that stuff, too. But I'm excited to get everybody back in here, but I think that we've already outgrown this space. Yeah, it's an interesting space, too. It's it's a co-work space between different types of businesses. It's not just music industry in there. It's all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, there's a uh, a woodworking shop and a metal shop and like <laughs> glass, like all kinds of stuff. Makes cool. for a good uh, background noise for a podcast, right? It's like the perfect place for that. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully you don't get too much of it right now. But uh, fortunately, we are winged by an interior design company and a hair salon. So I think we'll be all right. No, that's cool. If I hear somebody putting bodies into a wood chipper, I'll just ignore it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Just screams. <laughs> Straight out of Fargo. I love that part of that movie. Anyway, that's off topic. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, you are the founder, CEO of Single Music. And... Um, you guys are crushing it. First of all, I just keep seeing things pop up and you keep growing like, like gangbusters. Um, you know, how's it going over there? It's been, I mean, we've been fortunate to have a, a good year amidst a, a pretty shitty year. Uh, the, we kind of, obviously as we moved into the live streaming side of things, uh, kind of out of a necessity, but more of it was just like to see a fair business model for like watching all the other platforms that were coming out. And that kind of just took off. Obviously, there's been a lot of growth on that side of things, and um, 
Yeah. So it's been like, Really can't complain. Fortunately, we've been able to pick up some people that were displaced by the pandemic and, and get them in. And we've grown quite a lot over the last year. Actually, we started 2020 with four and now we have 22 people. <laughs> so it's, uh, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, man. I want to, I definitely want to dive into how you guys were able to pivot during the pandemic and how you're sure. able to, uh, continue being a, a flourishing business. But before that, if you don't mind, uh, give me a little background on yourself and, how you ended up in this in this crazy business? Yeah, um, how far back do we want to go? So the I, I can actually trace, and I, I've said this a couple of times, where I can actually trace like what made me get to exactly where I'm at right now. Um, so I was born and raised in the DC area, but I was a, a music fan, so I started playing bass when I was like 12 years old. But I was terrible at school, like just. So any person at that that's out there right now that is not good at school, don't worry. You can still start your own thing. Um, hey man, same I, here. Same. Yeah. So I, well, when I was in high school, I had a, a teacher named Mr. Sharble and he was my history teacher and he found out that I wanted to go, well, that I wanted to have some kind of school in business or in music industry and in, in music. And he said, like, you should check out my alma mater. And he was referring to, to MTSU, Middle Tennessee State and came down here with my dad and went for the music industry program. And that was kind of like the impetus of starting into it. And then, um, my, cause my co-founder now is actually the first person that I met in college. So there's kind of like a lot of ways that that one decision of saying like, Hey, you should just check out that. And he wrote me a, a recommendation letter led me into being in, in music specifically, but Nashville more specifically, you know, I've been in the area for almost 15 years now, which is crazy. Uh, especially given how much the city's grown, but yeah, from a background perspective, it's just, uh, I, wanted to be around music, loved me- music, didn't like the DC politics. And so I got out of there and just kind of changed locations and, and haven't really looked back. Nice. And then, um, you know, once you got to Nashville, were there just, um, some, some like early building blocks that got you to where you are now that sort of a natural progression? Yeah, kind of. Um, so I was one of those fortunate millennials that graduated right in the middle of the first economic collapse. And so <laughs> I, yep graduated in 2010 and was fortunate enough to be able to get a job as at the Apple store here. Um, and I, I use that as the, the, the block, like the stepping stones because it taught me a, kind of a different way to sell. Like the Apple way of selling is not actually selling too much. I don't know if you've ever gotten into a store and they just want to talk to you about stuff. That's kind of their thing. It's, I mean, that's the best way to sell. Don't sell at all. Right? No, exactly. <laughs> like I, t- I spent more time talking people out of stuff. And then, but I've always had a technical bent. So I w- would also, I got kind of put into the, a new position that existed at the time where you were, you would do both sales and you would also fix iPhones. So it was kind of like a precursor to, to not having iPhones at the genius bar, but yeah. that had me start training people. And so I started training people on how to use Apple products and what product looked like and what it was like to work with people in terms of like, yeah, this is, this is how this functions. This is how you train people to use it. And you actually get a good sense of product. And obviously Apple's very good at that by working with people and saying, okay, like, I, I don't understand how this works and that kind of thing. So that was a hands-on experience working with people and technology and trying to train them how to use it. And then through one of those appointments, I met a gentleman that worked for an agency here in Nashville that ran the websites, fan clubs, stores for hundreds of artists. And, and, um, Oh, wow. Oh, and who was that? If you don't mind me asking. Well, it was a guy named Paul McCullough and the company was called MCN interactive, uh, music city networks at the time. And yeah. yeah. And so they, they were kind of one of the, the 
for they were on the forefront uh, during the early 2000s and in late 90s in terms of fan clubs and, and email lists and, and that kind of thing. And I, I had an appointment with them and just kind of got to talking and then went in and, and kind of followed up with them and then ended up getting a job offer on the spot to go join that agency. Exactly. And so when I when I went over there, uh, I was put into a, as an account manager, and I, I obviously was trying to get out of as much as I loved Apple. I didn't want to work in the store, and I wanted to get into the music industry and what I had had gone to school for. And so when I jumped at the opportunity, and when I, I went in there, I started as an account manager, and my first accounts were uh, like Kenny Rogers and Charlie Daniels and Allison Krauss and, and a bunch of different uh, different people. So I was about 23, 22, 23 at the time when that changed. I'm 32 now. And uh, around then, they had also purchased a uh, a startup company called Bomb Plates, which was kind of a, it was like a Bandzoogle competitor, Squarespace for musicians kind of thing, like website builder for musicians. And mm. when they purchased it, they didn't really have anybody that was running it. And so I walked into the CEO's office and just said, hey, I'd like to to give it a shot. And so then I, I immediately kind of became the person running a startup within that agency. So that gave me a more like product chops and, and that kind of stuff. And, and between the, cl- the clients that I had at, as an account manager and then running the bomb plate side of things, I, I kind of got, I got annoyed having to ask the developers for stuff. So I took code Academy classes and taught myself how to do front end development. And so that way I could not have other people do the work. Oh, so you so you went to Code Academy, huh? Yeah, I just did online classes and taught myself well, how to code. Man, that's such a great thing to do. I I tell people all the time, like just being good at one thing, whether it's being a musician or a guitarist or uh, you know a singer, learn all the other skill sets. Like I had to do that when as I was in my band, I had to figure out how to build websites and how to code. Yeah. And I taught myself Photoshop and all those things, and I thought at the time it was semi useful for the band I was in. Like, hey, this sure. is. I can apply this to now. I had no idea how much I'd be using that 15, 20 years later. Had no clue. Yeah, definitely. Fortunately, my, my I had a first girlfriend in high school. She introduced me to a like cracked version of Photoshop CS1 or whatever, like super <laughs> long ago. So I've been messing with Photoshop and graphic design for a really long time. I've always been kind of like a jack of all trades when it comes to computer stuff to where it's like I like to do graphic design and make music and and all that. And so teaching the, the the code side of things, back-end engineering, that's what my co-founders for. It's still completely gibberish to me and over my head. But from a design and front-end perspective, that's kind of where my my uh, focus had been. So yeah, when I was, I was there and, and kind of learned the ropes of working with artists and working on behind the scenes on the website side of things. And then uh, as that progressed, and the, the company had its troubles. And so it started to shrink a little bit more. But through that shrinking, I actually started getting, uh, I was elevating because they needed more people. They needed people to take on the tasks of people that were no longer with the company. And so ultimately, I became the director of product for that agency overseeing the basically all music product. And so I had 500 different clients, everybody from the Ryman to uh, Sam Hunt and all those country artists that I was describing before. Yeah. Uh, and in addition to the, the, the bomb plates, uh, clients, and we had about 300 on there as well. Um, yeah. So d- when, when doing that, there was a transition period where we had stripped from, we had, so the easiest way to describe it is there's three divisions of the company. We had a 
web division of it, which is what I was overseeing. There was an e-commerce division of it, which had like a warehouse and fulfillment and all that kind of stuff. And then there was an actual like merchandising wing, which still exists. It's a company called Future Shirts. Mm -hmm. And when they shifted the e-commerce division from a proprietary system to Shopify in about 2015, they there was internal talks between teams of saying, like, hey, we had all of these proprietary tools that we had built that we no longer have because we, we shifted to an open platform in Shopify. So rather than build those for that agency again, or to, to build them internally, I quit to build them publicly. So anybody mm-hmm. could use the same tools that the merchandisers and, and that they need. Um, so we, what we did was um, basically I, I text my, my now co-founder, one of my really close friends, Taylor O'Connor. Um, hey, I've got this idea. And I, there's a, like a, it was just like a really late night text and just said, I've got this idea. I think that there's a market there. And he was like, yeah, let's talk about it. And then I do it. And he was like, yeah, I'm totally in. And he was working at a mm-hmm. bank at the time. Um, super smart, like probably the smartest person I know. Engineer it was great. It was a really, really good match. And so uh, when we started building it, we just went to the other merge companies. And so I was in charge of obviously going and selling it while we were in charge, like building it and designing <laughs> it and stuff. And so I went rather the way that I looked at the market was you have pools. Uh, you're, you're trying to how do you reach the most customers at the most time? And especially for a B2B product, because mm-hmm. for consumer, you just cast a wide net and hope that it, it sticks. For us, it well, you have to find your clients, especially in B2B. Yep. And so the, the way that I did it was, okay, labels have the most artists, but we all know how difficult it is at the beginning when you're starting to go and walk into a label and say, Hey, I've got this new idea. They don't care. You have to be established first. Yep. And there's a similar, if you're going down the line, you can say, okay, labels have the most. And then you can say management groups that are, have a roster of like 15, 20, something like that. So that's that. And then, then you get down to the individual artists themselves. But in between the labels and the, the managers, there's actually the merchandisers that have a larger pool of artists than management does. And yep. they're much easier to approach, especially if you come from that world. And because so they're, because they're not safeguarding the artists, they're not there to protect the artists. They already they're just yeah. there supporting them and providing them with a service. So when you come and you say, look, I have a value add. They're like, oh, yep. OK, I can bring this exactly. to the artist. I can put it right in front of them. This is great. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly that. So it was try. How do I get around the gatekeepers to do the same end goal? And so we realized a lot of the tools that we were building were based around automation and, and mostly in B two B, you're selling people their time back. And so the idea what when we were starting it was okay, let, what can we automate? And that was chart reporting, that was digital distribution direct to consumer, uh, digital physical bundling, and, and we didn't roll all of those things out in version one initially, but th- that's kind of what the the idea was: is what are the things that we can add into it to make the merchandiser's life easier, so we can get the foot in the door and begin to work with with their rosters and then and that kind of thing. Um, so we launched publicly in January of 2018, and we like and with our digital distribution service first and with that we had the first clients that we had were actually a pastor and steel panther which was quite interesting <laughs> wow <laughs> the that's amazing the, was a, did did they happen to know each other that would be no i don't think so uh, <laughs> and i won't I'll, by no means am i going to go into it but the the title of the pastor's 
song was more closely related to what I would have called a Steel Panther <laughs> title of the song. So I, and I'm not going to totally not going to go into what it was, but the, uh, I can imagine, I can imagine. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, but it, that's where we started with. And then uh, we were just kind of slowly growing the platform over time. And we were, we are, and, and still kind of are, the only music specific app in the Shopify app store. And so we just started seeing more like install growth and stuff like that naturally through it while I just continued to go to uh, the merch companies and, and that kind of thing. And the way that we launched it has never been uh, building things that we don't think that they need. It's more, or and having these ideas, it's more of going to the, these companies and saying, what is it that you need us to build? Because we're very transparent. Like, look, we'll we'll build it and we'll charge it. We'll sell it back to you as a service, but we'll do it in an elegant way that it's worth it for you to to offload that work. So we just do a ton of customer interviews and talking to our users and potential clients and say, okay, if it's a no, what is it that you? What is the roadblock? What do we need to add that if you don't do it? And so over time, we've been able to to grow usage of the platform by just being really open with current clients and potential ones. Uh, so now we do the distribution reporting for, I think we have about 10 major merchandisers run their stuff for us. Uh, through us, we work with Live Nation merch. And so that would be the the Dua Lipas, Mac Millers, Foo Fighters, all that stuff We for them. We work with Empire uh, Records um, and and all of their, their uh, we have about 3,000 stores that we run through. We've reported almost two and a half million records to the charts. Yep. Uh, we've distributed over 2 million records through us as well too. We report physical and digital and all that stuff. And we have 13 number one records that we've run through since launching in, in 2018. Uh, it may be more now. And that's um, huge. And, and, and one of my favorite things too, didn't you guys do a bundle uh, sort of thing with tool? Yeah. So the way that they did that was, uh, it was, it's kind of interesting because there, those were pure album sales and they had the pre-order yeah. and stuff. But what the way that we, that they did it was you would get a lossless quality download while you were waiting for the record in the mail, the physical to show up. Yep. Yeah. And so they would, when they purchased vinyl or they purchased rather than defaulting to say Spotify or something like that, which has uh, a compression on it, we would, they, while they were waiting, they would immediately get a lossless copy of waves. And so they could listen to that on the way. And so that was a, a really cool, uh, Thing that they did for their fans because it just gave a, a much better experience and especially right now because of the the vinyl like the pressing world has had its fluctuations in terms of like the issues with the warehouses burning down and the issues with supply chain and stuff like that that the delays in manufacturing vinyl have been very apparent mm -hmm. and so that's part of where we've tried to step in is for the, those users that are buying vinyl, if they want to get really high quality audio, they can get it directly from the artist at the moment that they purchase. So if they're, if it is waiting, then they're not just stuck with lower quality audio through whatever streaming service that they're using. Right. Right. Well, I, I want to go back for a second because one of the things that um, I have to give you credit for and kudos is um, at a time when the industry was seemingly um, pivoting away from direct to consumer sales in the music, in the music world, um, I think you guys like just planted a flag and was like, actually, no, this is going to work. And I think it's actually going to come back in a lot of ways because everybody was going to the aggregates, right? Like, Hey, if you want to, if you want your music to be heard by your fans, it's got to be on Spotify or Apple music or Tidal. Um, and during that time when that was really at its peak boom a, a few years ago, you guys were like, no, direct to consumer is also going to be a thing. And I have to say, like, I see that coming back even more now. Um, mm, yeah. 
because the you know the couple things right like the lossless audio is one thing but also having that direct connection so now you see these apps popping up like community and discord these areas where people want to talk to their fans directly they don't want it on an aggregate site so yeah, i think exactly. you guys are really smart to just be like look we're not going anywhere we think there's value here and i, I think clearly um, all these merch companies and your partners see that, that um, not only is it, you know, more of a B2B service, but also for the artists, they feel like they can have a direct platform and a store for their fans and they don't have to point people all the time to these bigger conglomerates, which I think is really smart. Yeah. yeah the way that we, so we will get into the live streaming side of things too, but single doesn't see itself as a digital download company. That would be stupid, especially in 2021. And, but we started a download company in 2018, which people looked at us like we were crazy, but the, without having the understanding that this is a thing that is happening and it's a, a pain point. And so rather than trying to, again, solve stuff that doesn't exist, we're like, oh, these problems exist. We know that they're there. So let's just go yep. fix them and then we can continue to grow. Um, yeah. So we don't see ourselves as a download company. We don't see ourselves as a live streaming company. Single definitely sees itself as a direct to consumer, like toolkit for the music industry. Exactly. Um, the D2C space for every industry is growing. And the reason why is people are finally, well, so music is usually behind everybody else, but every industry is moving more in a direct to consumer model because through retail brick and mortar, the margins are horrible. The Amazon model, obviously they get, they're handing their customer to somebody else and they're getting less money for it. And so Shopify itself has seen its growth exponentially over, especially during the pandemic, because people are moving more towards, I don't have to go through an aggregate to sell my products when there's platforms that provide just as good of a, an experience to the consumer to purchase whatever it is that I'm selling. And that's music, that's music industry, that's anything. I mean, that's, there's a reason why Kylie Cosmetics and everybody, like they do their most sales through Shopify D2C. Um, so for us, the, the whole idea has always been, and this comes from, and you're talking about how does the path make sense, mm-hmm. was having worked for and kind of worked with independent artists during that independent website building stuff and them asking for features and things that they could sell directly to their fans. It's never made much sense to me why, especially at the highest ends of the industry, they say, okay, here's my merchandise, go somewhere else that takes 30% for my music. When you could, and, and even on the mid tier for some of our competitors and other platforms that are, are not that run off percentages, let me sell you my t-shirt, take 10% of that t-shirt and I'll give you a download. But that t-shirt just lost me $3 because the, the t-shirt was 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. So the, the model that we are trying to show people is you don't need to use a platform that either takes a percentage of your physical merchandise and B, you don't need to, to automatically default to sending your fans to larger platforms like the Amazons, the Apples, the Spotify's and stuff. And obviously Spotify doesn't have a purchase point, but the, you don't have to send them to those in order for your fans to consume when you could just sell direct, have better margins overall. And then you end up having a much more lucrative relationship with those fans because you know exactly who they are. When yep. you send it, send it to Apple, they're acting as the, the, the gatekeeper between you and your fan. And they can say, yeah, you have a fan in Tulsa, but you have no idea who that person is. 
when you do a D to C, when you have to, you have to sell them the t-shirt, you have to send it to them. They have to tell you who they are, where they are. And so you are creating that relationship because you're the person that's actually providing the service. And so we want to sit behind the scenes and plug in the holes of like, okay, what are these larger platforms doing? What are the reasons why an artist wouldn't be able to do this themselves? And then let's fix those problems. So live streaming, for instance, it would, to be your, our model is different than pretty much any other platform because the, the artist or the person running the store is effectively the ticket provider. And so they are mm. selling the tickets directly to their fans. Single provides the technology behind the scenes in order for that artist to host that live stream in their store. And our team also acts as the box office support. And that's the most important piece because selling your own tickets is fine as an artist, but the moment that you sell 5,000 tickets and a fan has an issue or something like that, then dealing with customer support will murder your time and management yeah, will hate you. Huge bottleneck. Yeah. Yeah. So we say, okay, we will take on your fan support for the services that we provide through the digital downloads, the live stream tickets, all that kind of stuff. And, and with that, they don't have to worry about being able to provide their fans with the same level of experience as these platforms that are charging them more because we stick specifically to, okay, we, We'll charge you per ticket for what we sell. And it, baked into that cost is us to provide the support and the technology and the, the servers and all that kind of stuff. But really what it is, is the peace of mind of the artist to be like, yeah, I can do this myself. And I don't have to worry about getting overloaded with, with fans or anything like that when the vast majority of it's automated or we have a team of support that's specifically here to make sure that, that doesn't happen to you. Right, right. So that leads me to my next question, which is how is a uh, single... Uh, integrating with platforms like Patreon uh, and things like that, where people are, you know, creating these packages and these, these offerings for their fans. And um, is, do you guys have a, a backend that's built into those types of platforms or partnerships, or is it kind of a layer on top of that people can offer or how does that work? So right now we have like single itself is built agnostic of Shopify, but it is the only platform that we have integrated with at the moment. And honestly, it's just based on the addressable market on Shopify. The growth there is incredible. And the amount of people that are on it, it's, we haven't, we haven't felt like we've conquered that enough to then move on to start creating integrations with other platforms just yet. That being said, a lot of uh, our users, uh, Peter Hollins is a fantastic example. He's a, a YouTube acapella guy, has a ton, uh, like he's one of the biggest people on Patreon. He runs a Shopify store, has his Patreon, links them together, has his album sales and stuff like that happening through his store. And then we are backboning the, the Shopify aspect of it. But because he has the two of those things linked together as Patreon and his Shopify, then we, by transitive property, are helping on, on that side of things with what he's doing in Patreon. So the other aspect of it too is fortunately for us, Shopify has a bajillion apps in the store. And so when you want to create a connection to like, they're, they're connected to Instagram and they're connected to TikTok and they have Facebook right. integrations and, and all that stuff. And so we kind of get to leverage those integrations, but as like Shopify being the touch point for them. Yep. And so in time, we will probably integrate to a lot of the stuff and create direct relationships with them, but we just haven't had the need to because you kind of already can through the relationship that we have currently. Right. They, like you said, it's kind of plug and go through Shopify. So it's kind of already all there. So there's no need to do direct integrations unless something happens down the road, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that's, 
the part of what we tried to, what we have noticed through, I mean, honestly, just even data alone is through the way that our model works for anybody that isn't familiar, Single is an app that forwards the shop for Shopify. When you install Single into a store, it basically sits as a layer on top of the store and augments the, the things that you can sell and provide to fans. And so predominantly those being the digital distribution and live stream ticketing. Those are our two larger products. We've got some other stuff that we do around like album upsells and stuff like that. But the idea is, is that when we sit on top and create that kind of augmented layer is that we can then surface information to the artists so they can like better analytics around what they are seeing with their fans. We can help them obviously sell those things. And so, and, and through that, it's in, infinitely customizable because we exist behind the scenes that whatever it is that they want to do, there's the entire app ecosystem for them to do that. So we have artists that have like gated pages that they sit behind. So they effectively create their own Patreon with better margins and, and that kind of thing. Cool. And then from a, like a, a business model perspective, it just comes down to what they're, they just pay a subscription rather than paying a percentage of gross margins to, to somebody. <laughs> so it ends up just being more lucrative for them in the, in the grand scheme of things. That's, that's really, really smart. Well, I, I'll ask a selfish question. Are you guys working with podcasts at the moment? Do you have anybody doing that with you? So podcasts are an interesting, like I, I, no, the short answer is no, but in a weird way, yes, because we have a, a, a product that is that came from the idea, it's called Boostlinks, but the idea is that you could bundle things like follows, pre-saves, basically promotions. Like you, so you know your link fire, you've got those lists and smart URL and others, so it's like a list link, a list of links. Yep. We have a service like that, except we do it slightly differently to where somebody buys a t-shirt or something like that. Then it says, hey, do you want to follow me on Spotify? Do you want to subscribe to my podcast? Do you want to do a thing? So it's a way to promote other products or other thing channels that you're on when somebody's already uh, opened their wallet. They're the most engaged with you. So they might buy something from you as an artist and not realize that you have a podcast. And so somebody could buy a t-shirt from you and then like from your band and say, hey, did you know that we also have this podcast that we're working on? And so we do have kind of those promotional side of things that, that we have. And then from an, an audio perspective, obviously we have distribution, but the model's a little bit different. But if I get enough interest from podcasts, we might build some stuff for them. <laughs> yeah, no, the reason I'm asking is because there's a lot of, lot of um, uh, fellow friends of mine who listen to this now, and they have podcasts and different people in the industry that are realizing the value of the educational component from having a podcast yeah. and how it opens doors to all the other things that you're working on. So I think a lot of people are just going to be interested to see um, who sort of raises their hand in that space first, because, you know, it, podcasts historically were not a music industry thing, but I think they're starting to become something. Artists are realizing they can get more ears on their music by just talking about their music first or yeah. talking about the people they collaborate with. So yeah, I think it's a really interesting booming space, but um, yeah, that's, that's, that's great so, to know that you guys are already thinking about that. I mean, in theory, there's some stuff, and this comes back to my not selling, if it's something that we don't provide, but I know the way that you could do it. <laughs> the The cool thing that you could do with, uh, all right, so for independent artists and podcasts in general is as you're growing your audience, like how do you monetize that audience? And so a lot of the largest podcasts you'll see have merch deals just like artists. We don't tend to work with a lot of them but the merch companies that we work with that have like some music clients and they'll have some podcasting clients and they'll offer merchandise for them. It's a fairly, it's kind of like how there's always been an overlap between comedy and music and the, the way that you do marketing of them. 
Yep. So I could see somebody with a like a budding podcast or something like that spinning up a Shopify store, putting there there's apps for direct to, to garment printing, so you can use Printful and stuff like that, and then hosting your podcast on there. And the way that I've always said it is like, look, you can put your content on Spotify and Apple and everything, and no one's going it, it just put it up there. No one's telling you to not do that. What I always try to recommend is rather than defaulting to saying, go to Spotify to get it, say, come to my website to listen to it and then embed the SoundCloud player. And then there's your merchandise. At the very least, you're putting it in front of your fans or you're seeding it into the head so you can start creating that relationship. If they're going to find the content on Spotify or Apple or something like that, they're going to find it anyway. They're just going to go through the search function of that app because they've already heard you and you've already pointed them in that direction. So by default, point them to you. Don't point them to somebody else. Hundred percent. Yeah. Put 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 them in a place where it's yours. Don't put them on somebody else's platform. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah. Create the relationship. The the minute you um, have that direct relationship with a fan, it, you have a much better chance of uh, keeping them for much longer and and getting them to pay attention to other things that you're doing instead of sending them to somebody else. So. There's a lot of value there, but yeah, man, I, I want to talk about the live streaming stuff. I mean, it's kind of crazy how 2020 gave us no choice in, in the live music world, yeah, but to much. figure it out, man. I mean, so many people have just kind of lost their ass uh, because touring was the backbone of their income. Um, but you guys have been doing some really amazing things in that space and helping people out. So yeah, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Um, so obviously we didn't start out with live streaming on, on the mind of the company uh, initially, but we're always looking for opportunities of, of things that we can provide if we think that there's a way to do a direct consumer, basically. And so when the pandemic started, uh, really more around like March and April, uh, we started seeing the everyone and their mother starting up a, a live streaming service. And so part of that was a, a, a bit of a red flag to me was, okay, with so many entrants, that means the barrier to entry is extremely low. And that also means that the technology behind it has been commoditized. And so if you can see people spinning that stuff up so quickly, that means that, okay, there's an easy way to, to enter into this. So what we started seeing was with more and more businesses entering into the live streaming market, we hated their business models. We saw that they were taking a percentage of merchandise or taking a very high percentage of ticketing and and that kind of thing. And that was the antithesis of what we learned with our digital distribution service of fixed rates per album or per track. So to to feed the two together, what we did on digital initially was, okay, it's $2 per album. Uh, Unless we're doing really high volumes, we'll give price breaks or whatever, but it's $2 an album and then 15 cents per track. So the, if you're selling a single, it's 15 cents, half the price of iTunes, same price of Bandcamp and capped at $2. So if you have like really high margin stuff, then you're only paying for the digital side of things. So rather than doing it at a percentage to where if you're of a platform that you, that takes a percentage, let's say 10%, when you sell like a vinyl on that, that's three that would be $3, whereas with single, it would be two. And so we looked at the same model and said, why doesn't anybody do the same damn thing for tickets? Because yeah. w- I'm the between a $15 ticket and a bundled shirt that's $30, the cost for the stream is the same. There's no yeah. difference to us. So it's never, we've always said 100% of merch revenue needs to stay in the hands of the merchandiser, the artist. That has nothing to do with us. Pay us for the services that we provide. 
And so we did the live stream ticketing in the same way. We have now changed it to $2 a, a ticket, unless you're doing really high volumes. We will, our sales team can talk about that stuff. But basically, it's $2 per ticket. You know what the cost is going to be. And so if you sell a $15 ticket or a bundle that's $80, it costs two bucks. Yep. No difference. And so by doing it that way, we've been able to go to a lot of the artists that, uh, and by sitting behind the scenes in, in Shopify, we leverage the, their own storefront. We got to move more quickly into the market with what we see as a better business model, where we said, okay, this is more fair to you. It's fully transparent. You are the one actually selling it. You, the, because they're, you're the person selling the tickets, the money's in your account in two to three days, as opposed to most other platforms where they are the person like actually taking, they're creating the relationship, have the platform and stuff like that. So we've just been the mindset of if you want to go, if you want to watch Jimmy Eat World, go to jimmyeatworldlive.com, buy the ticket, come back to jimmyeatworldlive.com when you want to watch the show. Simple as that. And right. so yeah. that that's where we wanted to stake our claim was how do we make this fair? How do we leverage what they're already using? Then obviously because of the services that we provide, we can do some pretty unique things that most other platforms can't where, hey, here's, you're buying a, an out, you're buying a, a ticket to the show. Do you want to do you want to buy the the record for three fifty as a discount or whatever? Do you want to buy? And then they do that, and then that now counts as a scanned chartable sale because we do all of it. So everything from using your live stream to promote album sales and those albums count on the charts legally, and we build all the, the rules that we can in, into the system. So it's uh, yeah, it just turned us into a pretty unique experience to where rather than having all these disparate stuff. You can have a Shopify store that you're driving your fans to. You can customize it however you want to. You own the relationship. Single sits behind the scenes and everything that you want to do with that particular campaign will help you do it. Man, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be hearing this and be like, wait, I can do this? Hold on. Um, yeah. So so um, let me ask you this. What is the best way for an artist to get set up with single music or to get set up with the live stream or get into business with you guys? Is there a single point of entry besides the website? It's kind of just the website, really. Um, That's it, right? Yep. Yeah. Like, we're in a unique spot because obviously we leverage another platform. And so half the time I do have to talk about somebody else's product, which is fine. They're a great partner for us. So it ends up being kind of a, the barrier to entry is having to have a, a Shopify store. And and this is me speaking kind of openly and honestly, but what we where we try to target it, we look at the industry as kind of like a pyramid. At the top tier, we've got the Travis Scotts and the Harry Styles and stuff that we work with. And then beneath, in between that, we have independent labels, the sub pops of the world. And then beneath that, we have established indies. And then at the bottom of that, we have the garage band just starting out completely. When you're in that the lowest rung, it makes sense to be on a band camp or a platform that's taking a percentage of your merchandise because you're probably not going to be selling a ton. What we try to, to tell people is the moment that you sell on average $300 or more in merchandise per month, the commission to Bandcamp on that would have been $30. So, and then after that $300 that you've sold, everything after that is 10% off your gross margin in perpetuity, which yep. is insane to me, but for some people, they want to do it that way. Whereas you could have, if you're, as soon as you're averaging $300 in sales, a $30 commission that would be paid out. You could take that $30 and you could have just had a Shopify subscription. And now you're keeping 100% of your merch revenue or hundred percent of all of your revenue, basically from the moment that you did it. So it's basically like Bandcamp Fridays every day, 
And so you don't <laughs> have to share that with anybody. And so the, the stuff for me is, is like, yeah, at the bottom tier, if you're not in the sales yet, it might not make sense. But the moment that you kind of like move up in terms of your sales and notoriety and you have those consistent sales, it doesn't make any sense, at least to me personally, why you would sit it's on one giving that's away. that yeah. much. Yep. And so, and not to talk, I'm not trying to talk shit about Bandcamp by any means. It's just like, it's more of a, from a business model perspective, I think that I think they have a great product, but I think that once you reach a, a certain tier, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but just financially. And yeah, so you put yourself in the shoes of the artist too. Like what, you know, what's the best way to, you know, retain your income for sure. Exactly. And so there's, and there's a ton of analytics and data that you're going to get out of a platform like that, but that's more e-commerce focused than it is just like a generalized music stuff. And that's kind of where we come in. We said, look, we took this platform that has a ton of tools and great analytics and, and data and just said, okay, where are the, where are the blind spots for music? And that's what we try to fix. So then you can have that same kind of experience. So yeah, for, to get started with us, it's, you can go and you can go to Shopify and you can spin up a trial or whatever, and you can install us through their app store and start using us at the moment. Or you can come to our website and talk to our team and get a demo and, and see what it looks like and, and talk to our, our live streaming team. And and we've had experiences where the artist has a relation existing relationship with merch companies or something like that. But for 30 bucks, you can spin up a Shopify for a month and then you can put the live stream in it and your margins will still be better. So the, it, it kind of just depends on what your setup is. And that's what our team is here to help kind of guide you through the whole process. So just hit us up and we're happy to help. Yeah. Super cool, man. I think a lot of people are going to be jumping into this. So uh, what's next for single what's on the horizon. What do you guys uh, have in the next three, six months, 12 months? So we've kept our, our live streaming in a beta intentionally. Um, over the last year to, to kind of limit the, we actually wanted to limit the growth of it, to be completely honest with you. We took, we had the luxury of time when we were building out our digital tools and we didn't want to make the mistake of building something too fast and then falling on our face. So over the next few months, we're going to be opening up our, our live streaming tool more publicly. And so that way you can jump in and use the app more as an app based thing. You can go in and do it yourself. But one of the, the more uh, the things that I'm most excited about that I've been working on for about two years now um, will be coming out in the next few months. And that's going to be, I don't want to go too far into it, but basically it's going to be around data visualization for your direct to consumer data. Cool. Uh, we want to create the, the easiest way that I can describe it is that we are creating something akin to say like a Spotify for artists or Apple music for artists, but using your direct to consumer data. And so it's yep. way, way more in depth and way more usable. And, and, uh, so because you are, it's already yours, it's already from the store. So the direction yeah. that single is going in is, is tying a lot of loose ends together that we've wanted to do for a long time. And our goal has always been to increase our users sales through direct to consumer by like leveraging what they've already run through their store. So like where fans yeah. are and that kind of thing. I mean, I mean, data is power. I mean, for so long, I mean, the music industry has been so antiquated and just in the past, you know, call it 10, 15 years, but really 10 years, there's this thing called data where artists can be like, Oh wait, my listeners are where they're coming from where yeah. it used to just be sound scan or, you know, scannable sales that would come in from physical distro and your, your label would tell you where you sold records or you would know because you sold them out of the back of your van, who your fans sure. were. Um, and now you can, 
you can take a look at your Spotify for artists and say, oh, look, Chicago, Milwaukee, and Atlanta are my top markets. But then that's kind of where it stops. You're like, okay, yeah. boom. All right, but what else is there? And so I think there's going to be this massive revolution, and it sounds like you're already onto it, but I've talked about this before, of data, of where the power is actually going to be in providing more and more transparency to artists uh, so that they can reach their fans. Because the first people to really empower people with that data are going to be the winners because people, that's what they want. And the the reward is going to be so high for both parties. It's not going to be a one-sided thing. So um, I think it's really smart what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, and that's been our point of view. It's the, everybody always talks about the rising tide brings all boats. And so the, it never makes a ton of sense to me why, I mean, yes, there are laws and privacy rules and that kind of thing, but barring anything that is, Definitely illegal. <laughs> it never made yeah. much sense to me why teams wouldn't coordinate around your marketing and being able to do at least some sharing of information around like who the fans are, where you should be targeting, more coordinated efforts around those things. And the only way that you can do that is through transparency rather than having it be like, no, we don't want the label to know. We don't want management to know. We don't want the artists to know. Whatever the the powers that be or the stakeholders in it that are trying to control the relationship for whatever reason – that doesn't make a ton of sense to me because if if you're a merch company and you don't want to give the you don't want to tell the management who the fans are, well, how is management going to go ahead and run ads to make sure that you can sell more merchandise? They're trying to help you, so yep. that piece has never made much a ton of sense to me. So we're trying to create ways that we can bridge the gap and say, okay, hey, we have there's a ton of information. It's very actionable, and and that's the other thing too that we're focusing on is like you can't. Data for data's sake is worthless because you can just have this pool of information that you're just looking at and it's basically spreadsheets. And so data uh, visualization and uh, automated insights is a lot of the direction that we're going in. Of Hey, these are your fans that are doing this and this is what you should be doing about it. Uh, so that that's where I see the future being is if you own the relationship, then you can start um, exploiting is a terrible word, but you can start utilizing the relationships that you've created to continue those relationships and increase the value on a individual fan basis. But the only way to do that is to know who the fan is in the first place. Well, right. Like once you have that data, then you create actionable items for the artist to say, here's the data, here's what you can do. And then once you have that data, you create tools around it. When you create product and tools around something and you can automate that on top of the data, then you're really creating value for these artists. They're like, you know, it's, it's almost like a self-serve, um, you know, label services platform eventually. Um, and that's what it should be. It should, you should be able to yeah. run your own business without somebody in the middle. Yeah. And there's, again, it comes back to the point of you, you're trying to give people back their time. So you don't ever want to create a product that takes their time away from them. You want to give them their time back through the use of your product. And so the way that we've always looked at it is, okay, as long as we create something that doesn't make it harder for them, it has to make something easier and it has to be able to be something that they can create revenue from. And so if we can take those two things as the starting block, let's make it easier, give them their time back. And then once we start moving into the data side of things, we will build data in the way that we want to do data uh, with that mindset in mind. It has to be easy. It has to be easily digestible, but it also has to provide you actual value. And the only way that you provide value through data is to help drive sales because otherwise you're just looking at graphs and it's not doing anything. So we, we definitely have, that's the direction that we want to go in is, is like, okay, now that we have some products, things that you can sell and you've got other merchandise that we don't touch, how can we help you increase sales across the board of, of all those things? 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, it, it's funny. It's like you said, you, if you go to buy a billboard, right? There, there's always the, the sale is this. This is how many cars drive by this billboard every day. Here's yeah. how many eyeballs see it. Here's the traffic. And you're like, okay. And how many people that see that billboard go and buy the product? And the answer is always, we have no fucking idea. No idea. We have no idea. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, well, that's not very helpful. Like the point of sale is what matters. Like, yep. tell me when that action came in from the person who saw that. And now we're talking about data I can use. Now yeah, we're talking exactly. about something that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And there's the, the thing is, is the more that you drive your own relationships, the more that you get a better picture of who your best fans are. And because the more that you're not defaulting to those other platforms, the more that they consume from you, then the more, you know, like, okay, this person in this place is the, my top fan. So you can go into your Shopify or whatever, look at your customer list and it'll be like, yeah, this is what that person bought. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, that that's the, where we want to help focus is like showing, showing the music industry that there was always traditionally a little bit behind that direct to consumer is exploding in every other industry. And it needs to do the same in ours because it provides the best value to everybody involved. Dude, I think you guys are doing an awesome job, man. Congrats on well, all the success. You. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Well, so uh, before we go, where can people find you? And I guess uh, also the company website is just what? Singlemusic.com? Yeah. Singlemusic.com. Um, I'm not really on social media. <laughs> to be totally That's honest. all right, you man. That's me, okay. <laughs> you, find, you find me on LinkedIn or you can always like hit up the company one and somebody will let me know. Um, but I'm also a wide open book too. My email is Tommy at singlemusic.com. So you can just email me if you have questions or anything. There you go. Cool. That works. Uh, dude, thanks again for taking the time and uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks, Edge, man. I really appreciate it. I, this is the first one, like I said, that I had to do on a camera. So this is, uh, seeing myself the whole time was a little new, but I guess I'm used to it with all my Zoom <laughs> meetings at this point. Now, I was going to say, we've been staring at ourselves all year, right? So Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we're well, doing okay. Well, dude, thanks again. And, uh, you know, congrats. Thanks. Speak soon, Tommy. Bye. See ya. 